He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Stuck in the middle with you. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am. <coughs> Stuck in the middle with you. That's where I want to be. That's a good place to be. So everybody's all upset about the Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court leak of the Alito opinion on abortion. And uh, they're all wondering why it happened and who did it, and they're investigating, and they'll find some poor law clerk, probably one of the liberal judges' offices, who leaked it. Right. The question is, why did they leak? Ronald Reagan once said, Washington is the only ship of – the ship of state is the only ship that leaks from the top down. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's really true. And the question is, why did they leak? And there are all kinds of reasons for the leak. Sometimes they leak because a, a politician or an operative, a staff guy wants to make it with a reporter and have the reporter uh, – work with him and feed him stuff and, and, and give him favorable coverage so he does a leak uh, so the reporter will be able to one-up the her, his or her colleagues. Hmm. Uh, sometimes they do it because they want to stop something from happening by leaking it or force something to happen by leaking it. And uh, But the one thing it involves is it it's involves secrecy and, uh, the, and the operative has to be absolutely ca- careful to keep their identity quiet. Secret Agent Man, Secret Agent Man, they're giving you a number and taking away your name. Did you I secretly most- just blow your nose? <laughs> <laughs> I have the most incredible story about a leak that'll give you this a real understanding of how Washington works and why people leak. Uh, and this is a true story, and I don't think it's ever been told in the media before. I've told it to friends, but I don't think I've ever published it. And this is an unbelievable story, but follow it. When Bill Clinton was president, he had the issue of signing a bill that he had pushed for welfare reform that I had pushed also. And uh, it was very questionable whether he would sign the bill. It eliminated welfare. It basically said that From now on, you had to work in order to get welfare, and there would be a time limit for the amount of time you could spend on welfare. And the liberals were going crazy about that. They hated it. They said that this was repealing an entitlement that would cast millions of people into total poverty, and uh, they were fighting it like crazy. And within the administration, Stephanopoulos wanted the bill to be vetoed, and I wanted it to be signed, and he and I were at loggerheads with Clinton. So, Snuffleupagus, what was his name? Stepping a lot of it. (laughs) And um, George George Stepping a lot of it. (laughs) That's a a cartoon that a guy did where he drew him as a figure called George Stepping a lot of it. Stepping a lot of it. (laughs) And um, George Stepping a lot of it bet me five bucks that Clinton would would veto the bill, and I said he would sign it. So. At one point, he paid me the five bucks, and Clinton snickered when he saw that happen. But before Clinton decided to sign the bill, um, there was another decision that he had to make about six months before that, which concerned a bill that had passed in Wisconsin that was the same provisions as the national bill that Clinton had before him, but it applied only to Wisconsin. And under the federal law, when a state adopted a program that was in conflict with the federal law, the federal authorities had to say that's okay, or they could veto it and stop the state law from taking effect. And the question was, would Bill Clinton waive the requirement and permit the Wisconsin welfare bill to take effect? And everybody saw this as the bellwether as to whether he would sign the national welfare reform bill. It was really a question as to whether he'd do it or not. And everybody was really uh, concerned about it and worried about it. 
So uh, <clears throat> Clinton told me and George Steppen a lot of it that he had decided to uh, approve the Wisconsin welfare waiver and permit the change to take place. And he told his staff. And the next morning we woke up to see the lead article in the New York Times, Clinton to veto Wisconsin welfare waiver. The exact opposite of what Clinton had decided was being reported as the lead article on the front page of the New York Times as being what Clinton had decided, the precise opposite of what he'd said. What obviously happened was one of the liberals in Health and Human Services, HHS, heard that Clinton was going to approve the waiver and was scared to death about that. So they leaked the exact opposite to the New York Times, saying now he's going to veto the waiver. And the reason they did that was that they knew that Clinton had a policy of never flip-flopping in public. He had gotten quite a reputation in his first year or two as president for constantly changing his mind and backfilling and everything. And he was determined to end that. So his policy was once he committed to a course, he would stay that course and would do it. Even if he changed his mind, he'd keep it to himself. So they knew that if Clinton was out publicly as wanting to veto the Wisconsin bill, that he would not then turn around and sign it. So the leak was a way of putting his feet in concrete so he mm. wouldn't move on the issue. Interesting. And uh, it went out and was in the Times. So then a few months later, he called Stepan Lodovic and I into the <laughs> Oval Office. You're going to keep saying that. And he said, <laughs> I've decided to approve the welfare reform bill. And George at this point handed me the five bucks he owed me. <laughs> and, um, and then Clinton said to the two of us, how do I do it? And I was not as baptized in the ways of Washington as George was. So I said, you take a piece of paper and you sign your name at the bottom and now it's the law. And he he looked at George kind of disgusted and he said, George, how do I do this? So he meant obviously in view of the leak of the waiver decision that he had made earlier, how do I stop that from happening? How do I stop being mousetrapped in the same way? So George proposed a plan, and I listened in great interest, and then we implemented the plan. And uh, the plan called for a meeting of everybody in HHS, all of the officials who were involved in welfare reform, the secretary, the undersecretary, all of them in the White House on a Friday afternoon at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And Bill was there, the president. Al Gore, the vice president, was there. Leon Panetta, the chief of staff, was there. We were all there. And the purpose of the meeting was, Bill Clinton said, that he wanted the advice of the staff on whether he should veto or sign the bill. He'd already decided to sign it, but he pretended he hadn't, and he wanted to get their opinion. So he wanted everybody there, and they wanted them to speak freely. Oh, this is a setup. So, a setup. So yeah. for an hour and a half, they let loose giving him all the arguments to veto the bill. And he sat there and Al sat there and they're both nodding their heads and (laughs) taking notes furiously. And after about an hour and a half, Clinton said, you know, this is one of the most important meetings I think I've had since I became president. It gives me a perspective and an understanding of the welfare issue that I really had not had before. Now, I have to go and meet with a foreign dignitary at the Oval and that'll take about a half hour. And then I'll come right back here and we'll continue this. And I don't want anybody to leave. I want you all to stay here. I want you to fill in Al, VP, and Leon, Chief of Staff, on what your arguments are. And they'll report them all to me. And then when I come back, I want to hear them in person. So nobody leave, but keep going on this. This is so important and so fundamental to my decision. Clinton then walked out, closed the door got in the elevator, went down to the ground floor, walked over to the Oval Office, went out to the Rose Garden, where all the reporters were assembled, and he signed the welfare reform bill. (laughs) (laughs) And it became law. It couldn't be leaked. (laughs) It couldn't be leaked. Because he already signed it. They were all stuck in the other room. Very good. And then then when the the word got out that the bill was signed, everybody was mad as hell. They were cursing. They were yelling. They were completely beside themselves. Three guys quit as a result of that. And, <laughs> That's pretty funny. And, and it was really funny. But uh, <laughs> isn't that a great that argument? That was great. With me today, as you know, is Doug DePiro, hey, my Dick, hey, Dick. close associate friend and music man for oh, this show. Oh, music man. Oh, the music man. Um, 
But isn't that incredible? That that is how Washington worked. That was great. <laughs> yeah, everyone stay right here. Don't go anywhere. I know. Stay. I know. Stay. And, and I've never leaked that to anyone. Nobody's ever written that. And it's, so, it's such an amazing, amazing story. If I weren't so there, funny. I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> the, one of the guys who quit was um, Marion Wright Edelman's uh, husband, the uh, head of the coalition that was opposing welfare reform. And he was uh, he was a holdover. It was very went all the way back to Bobby Kennedy's time. And he was just outraged. And I think... Um, Robert Reich, Secretary of Labor, I think he resigned over that or maybe over something else. But all the liberals just were apoplectic about that. They couldn't stand it. It was horrible. Right. And, uh, and this is absolutely incredible what went on. <laughs> so um, that's the way Washington works, guys. And that's what leaks do. They all serve a purpose. Now, Leon Panetta had a way of stopping leaking. He had a court which where he was the judge and the jury. He's an unrelated relative of mine. Oh, yes. Un- unrelated. You know, us Italians. Unrelated? Yeah. Okay. I don't get that. Yeah, off the air, tell me. Yeah. But um, so Leon would read something that had leaked in the newspaper. And what he'd then do is he'd have his staff pull up every story that reporter had written for the three or four weeks before the leak and the two or three weeks after the leak. And he wanted to see what sources the reporter had And then after the leak, what positive things the reporter had written about any administration official. And we found a reference that, you know, Joe Blow was gaining power in the administration and the president liked his advice. He would say, aha, that's the son of a gun. And uh, particularly that reporter (laughs) were quoted a couple of weeks before in one of the stories. The reporter quoted the guy. He'd know that that was the leaker. And then he would announce his verdict. He would tell tell the guy that he knew that he leaked. And the guy would deny it, and Leon would pay no attention. And then Leon would get his revenge. And the revenge was that he would leak to the, Washington, to the Wall Street Journal, which published a column every Friday called Inside Wire about gossip in Washington. And he would always tell the reporter that this kid, this guy, Joe Blow, the one who was the leaker, was losing influence in Washington and the president didn't like him anymore and wasn't taking his phone calls and that he was probably on his way out. Totally untrue, but he planted there as a way of punishing the leaker. Good. And the leaker would read that and know that he had just been effed by Leon Panetta and that he wasn't to leak anymore. (laughs) And it was absolutely brilliant. It it worked perfectly. He stopped all leaking. There was never another leak. Because you knew you'd buy yourself a horrible negative story. Right. That's a good strategy. And when, and when the word gets out that the president doesn't like you anymore and doesn't listen to you and the, the staff doesn't pay attention, it's like capital punishment yeah. in Washington. Now suddenly go home you, and cry to mommy. No, but suddenly you get lousy tables at the restaurant. <laughs> suddenly you don't get served lunch. Like <laughs> suddenly, the guy that used to have the yeah. table near the near – the, Yeah, uh, that's right. Suddenly, girls don't go out with you. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden. <laughs> you're, you're punished all over the place because of it. It's this informal network in Washington, and Leon knew how to play it perfectly. <laughs> it's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So I was talking about how you don't get good tables at restaurants and everything, and Washington turns its back on you when there's a story that that you're on the outs in the White House. America is a democracy, but the White House is an absolute monarchy ruled by the president. And it's just like Louis XIV's France. Uh, The slightest whim and mood of the president is echoed all the way up and down the White House staff and and causes tremendous changes, and particularly in your social life. Nobody will give you the right time of wait day. Wait in the bar, you, wait in the bar. Yeah, right. Your call calls <laughs> don't get returned and stuff. There's a wonderful story, if you don't mind me telling you all this stuff. Please do, please, please. please. Um, my cousin uh, was Roy Cohn, who was uh, very famous in the 50s. He was the, one, the lead prosecutor with Joseph McCarthy going after communists. And afterwards, he became one of the top lawyers in the United States. He represented everybody. He represented Onassis in his divorce case and 
all kinds of celebrities and everything, including half of the mafia. Must have made some jack with that. Yeah, it did. And um, But the society in New York never accepted him. They always ostracized him. They always thought he was way too conservative and way too yicky. Yicky? S- y- yicky, yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't ever give him a good table. So he used to eat at the at Twenty One Club, and uh, he always got the table right by the kitchen, a horrible table, yeah. and the waiters would make noise and everything, and it was terrible. Right. So Roy decided one day to get even. He um, invited he he made a reservation for three for lunch at Twenty One, and he showed up early, and they said, "We'll show you your table, Mister Cohen," and it was the same lousy table. And then his two guests showed up, the Duke and the Duchess of Windsor, <laughs> who were his clients. <laughs> and they were here to have lunch with their attorney, Mr. Cohn. So the maitre d' hustled over at his table and said, Mr. Cohn, I didn't realize who your guests were. We're so sorry. Let me seat you at a better table. Oh. <laughs> and I said, no, this is the table you always give me. This is where you always make me sit, and I'm going to sit here, and they're going to sit here, and you're just going to have to tell the kitchen to be quiet. That's true. So the waiters held the door for each other, and they were careful as they put the pots down oh, in the plates. Everybody had to be absolutely on the best behavior. And then after that, Roy would always get the best table in the ah, house. <laughs> he made his move. Yeah, Washington revenge, but that was New York. That's great. All right, there's... Something terrible has happened, which is that, as you know, I've been very supportive of Ukraine and of its valiant war against the Russians. Yes, you have. And I think that the they are demonstrating to the world that freedom is alive, that a comp- that people who are dedicated to keeping their freedom can keep it, can win it, even against big military odds, because the variable that never changes is the willingness of people to risk their lives for a cause. And it's clear that the Russians have no cause. And as a result, they're not risking their lives. They're not doing anything about it. And there are are reports that they're even shooting themselves in the foot, literally, or, you know, disobeying orders or not attacking. In fact, there was a story that they sent out a sort of concentration camp commander to torture and discipline soldiers that were not obeying their orders. Really? And, And that... That stuff is just so typical of the Russian army. Mm. But now there's a group of 54 Republican congressmen, many good people, who are standing up and saying we are not going to approve more aid to Ukraine because we have better, more important needs in this country and we're not going to put more money in the line. We're going to be keeping the money to the U.S. And back 100 years ago, the Republican isolation senators did the same thing thundering against aid to Britain as the Nazis closed in. They said the conflict in Europe was not our fight and objected to sending billions in arms and aid to London. Why do we need to spend our resources helping a nation halfway around the world, they said. We have pressing problems right here at home. And when FDR wanted to give U.S. destroyers to Britain to help break the German blockade that was starving the island, They said, no, our own defenses are depleted and argued that we needed to keep the ships here in our waters. And when Roosevelt wanted to send planes to back up the beleaguered, outnumbered IRF as it stood up heroically against the Nazi blitz, the same crap was being articulated. Oh, no, we need these planes here. We need these ships here. As the Great Depression still gripped America, driving up unemployment, and the isolationists demanded that we give priority to helping our own people. You know, why should we spend money on London and Britain when we have poor people here at home? They're saying the same thing now. Then came the shock of Pearl Harbor. Two oceans were not enough protection anymore. And if some of those dunderheads in Washington needed a reminder, they got one on 9-11. Right. Oh, my God. But now in a national act of amnesia, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and a band of 54 conservative Republican congressmen are using the same damn arguments and the same priority construct, the phony one, to oppose aid to Ukraine. They say with inflation and gas prices and unemployment and illegal immigration and crime, how can we possibly give help to Ukraine, as if any of that made a difference? They even say that the shortage of baby formula is a reason to oppose aid to Ukraine, like we're, we're really sending a lot of baby formula to help the troops in Ukraine. 
But the lesson of history couldn't be clearer. If you don't fight those who invade their neighbors and establish a global tyranny when they attack in Europe, we're going to be stuck fighting them on our own shores, like in Hawaii and lower Manhattan, like we were twice in our history. Vladimir Putin is just one of those long line of guys who come along who want to take over the world. Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, they never stop trying. And they're always timid and pandering souls, timid politicians and pandering ones who support aid and abet them. No matter that neither inflation nor a shortage of baby formula has a damn thing to do with aid to Ukraine, they use it as an excuse to oppose it. All that will happen if we cut off aid to Ukraine is it will be easier for Putin to invade other countries, one after the other. Isolationists like Rand Paul and Tucker Carlson of Fox News used to say that aid to Ukraine was a slippery slope that would inevitably lead to sending in U.S. troops. But now it's clear that Ukraine doesn't need them, doesn't want them. Just give them the weapons, even to even the fight, as petrodollars fill the coffins of the Russians. Just give them the tools and they'll rescue freedom for all of us. They'll pull our chestnuts out of the fire along with theirs. And yet these isolationists continue this crap of saying, uh, oh, with six, with $5 gas prices, how can we possibly help Ukraine by sending them guns? What the hell does one have to do with the other? Uh, they say Why? because of baby formula shortages and all kinds of crap, we can't give aid to Ukraine. And uh, and it's it just this isolationism is just so stupid. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an Now, Ralph in New Jersey is asking a question that probably a lot of you are asking. So thank you, Ralph, for calling, and let's talk about it. Uh, I, I do not know if I belong in the marginal group in this country who believe that Russia is less a threat as much as China is. Okay. okay. Well, let's take that. I mean, the, 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 what, what's, what's the whole Let's take that idea, Ralph, and explore it. Is Russia less of a threat to us than China is? Yeah, right now China's stronger than Russia. But China and Russia are a single entity. Uh, they work with each other. They enforce each other. They reinforce each other. They get each other's back. Right. You can't strengthen <clears throat> China and say that Russia isn't also being strengthened and vice versa. Mm. They're an item. Uh, it's like saying that Britain and the United States are, you know, isn't Britain a bigger problem than America is? They're the same. In the foreign policy terms, they're the same country. Like two bully brothers in a neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. You know, one could be a And they weaker. feed off each yeah, other. Yeah, right. In fact, the biggest thing that we could do to undermine China right now is to defeat Russia. The Chinese ambassador to Ukraine, the guy who was uh, China's main man in Ukraine, just gave a speech. Probably cost him his job or his life unless it was approved, and I think it probably was because he's too smart for that, uh, where he said that Russia is no longer a reliable ally of China, because its military weakness that's evident in the war in Ukraine shows that it cannot be a reliable ally of Beijing. So what's going on with, with China is if they lose Russia, their wingman, if they do not have Russia protecting their, their side, uh, they're going to be immeasurably weakened. China is, is a potent country, an important one, but Russia is just as important, and China needs Russia to be strong internationally. And if China is denuded of Russia and has to stand by itself, you're talking about a country that is vastly less less powerful. But that is happening, correct? Yeah, that is happening, happening. which is great. But, you know, asking that question was like they used to say, what's more of a threat, Germany or Japan? Right. Well, yeah, they both were, and you needed to be, beat them both mm-hmm. to be able to beat either of them. So, Ralph, it's a good question, but 
I wanted to give you my answer. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Hey, let me give you all a tip. If you want to get through, because there are a lot of calls that come in, and you want to be sure of getting on the air, disagree with me. When I see something on my call screen that I see now from Michael in New Jersey, I disagree. I think America should come first. He goes to the head of the line, and I put him right on. As long as he's nice. Well, you'd be nice. But be forthright. Tell me your view. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Hi. Okay, let's let's look back in history. Russia fought on America's side in World War II. Which side did Ukraine fight on? They fought on the side of the Nazis. As a matter of fact, Ukraine sent more Ukrainian soldiers to fight on the side of Germany than any other Eastern European country. All of them combined didn't have that, that is, many people fighting on the side of the Germans. Is, that Ukraine. is a total and complete lie. And if the station would let me call it horse S-H-I, you know what I would call it. It's absolutely a total and complete lie. Here are the facts. Ukraine was part of Russia and was invaded by Hitler. Uh, It was invaded first because Hitler was the first country that Hitler came to. At the start of Ukraine, Ukraine, at the start of the first state within the USSR, at first the Ukrainians were sympathetic to the Germans because they had just endured a famine deliberately caused by Russia, by Stalin, which killed three million Ukrainian small farmers. Literally what the communists did was they went around uprooting the harvest as it was about to come in, because Stalin wanted to force them off the land and into cities so he could industrialize more quickly. They wouldn't move, so he decided to starve them to death. And two or three million farmers were killed. Imagine starving a farm. Starve a farm and surrounded by food. (laughs) But after a few weeks of the German invasion, it became clear that Hitler was was just as racist against Ukraine as he was against Jews and everything else. And he announced that he wanted to kill the Ukrainians to create what he called Lebensraum, which means elbow room. So Germany's population could expand and they could put them in the vacant spaces that were created by killing the Ukrainians and the Jews. And there were about three million Ukrainians, Ralph, three million who were killed in the ovens in the concentration camp, Ukrainian Christians. There were six million Jews killed, but there were about three million Ukrainian Christians who were killed there. Ukraine did not send any troops to fight alongside of Hitler. Ukraine wasn't the country then. Russia was the country. Ukraine, at the start, had resistance patrols that were fighting on behalf of Hitler. But after a few weeks, they folded and they went over to the Russians, reluctantly, because they saw that Hitler was even worse. And the Ukrainians were fierce in their fighting against the Rus- against the Germans. Now, what you're confusing this with, Ralph, is that some countries did fight alongside of Hitler. Romania did, and Hungary did. Because Romania and Hungary both had Nazi governments there that had won power before the Germans had invaded them, largely because people were afraid of German invasion. And Romania lost a million men fighting on the wrong side at Stalingrad, and Hungary lost hundreds of thousands of men fighting on the wrong side on the Eastern Front in World War II. But Ukraine was not among those countries. Ukraine never was. And the idea that Ukraine is Nazi is Putin propaganda that you're spewing on this station, Ralph. But nevertheless, I'm very glad that you called because I want that stuff out so we can discuss it. And this is why we listen to Dick Morris. Exactly right there. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'd like like to talk to you about is 
what's going on now in Pennsylvania. There's now a primary for U.S. Senate, Republican primary. That will have more than anything else we can see now to do with Donald Trump's ability to become the next president. Uh, He needs to win the primary in Pennsylvania because if he doesn't, people are going to start saying he lost his control over the party. Anti-Trump factions in the party are gaining. I explained this in last week's show. The billionaires that never agreed with Donald Trump because they could never control him, they could never jerk his chain, Mm. set up something called the Club for Growth, where they get millionaires to go ahead and write huge checks with the goal of stopping Donald Trump. They're they're against his program to crack down on illegal immigration. They make money off the illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. They run agribusinesses. They're against cutting off trade with China. They make money off the trade with China. And they're they're basically uh, laissez-faire, old-style Republicans. Mm-hmm. And they just they don't like America First policies. They don't like the direction Trump is lead, was leading the country in. They were delighted when he lost. And they are now backing McCormick and Kathy Burnett, who are opposing Trump in Pennsylvania. Now, McCormick, we've talked about before. He was he's in cahoots with China. He made his money in China. And he would never crack down on China. But Kathy Barnett, a young, articulate, capable black woman who I actually had on TV show uh, the week after she announced her candidacy because I thought she has real potential. But she turns out to be this unbelievable nutcase. And there's no way in hell that she is going to be able to win that seat. She said, for example, that no Muslims should be permitted to live in the United States. They should all be deported. Islam should be banned in the USA. He said Muslim were, Muslims were animals, and we have to stop interacting with them as if they're rational people. There's nothing rational about Islam. He said that uh, pedophilia is a cornerstone of Islam. And she said that most think that ISIS is just a radical group, but it's not. They are the authentic Muslims. And the reason she's talking about all this is Oz, her opponent, Dr. Oz, is Muslim from Turkey, Ah. Uh, not part of the militant Muslims. In fact, he was one of the leaders against the militant Muslims. But he's he's the hope of the future, which is that there are over a billion Muslims in the world and not all of them are crazy. A lot of them are just normal, regular, sane people who have different their priorities and their own religious beliefs and their own worship and They're not bent on world conquest. And when somebody like Barnett comes along and knocks them and goes after them, uh, it's really just racism and prejudice. And we don't need more of that in the U.S. This is just racism by Barnett, and uh, and she says all kinds of crazy things. Look there, look. We had two senate seats that should be Republican that are in fact Democrat. One was in Missouri, and the other was in Indiana. And both of those were campaigns where the Republican won the primary. I was did one of them, the campaign for Murdoch in Indiana, where we beat Richard Luger. And man, did I hate that. We beat it because I thought Murdoch was a great candidate. And then the guy comes out the next week and he says that women can't get pregnant as a result of rape and, uh, and that therefore abortion should not be, uh, there shouldn't be an exception for rape. He Idiot. loses the whole race over that. Just a stupid statement Idiot. he just put out there. And I don't want more of that going on. I don't want people like Burnett throwing away Senate seats that we could win. Donald Trump needs Dr. Oz in the Senate. It's why he's risking things to go out and do it. It's why he's risking his political capital. He hasn't got to do that. He can sit back and just wait for the nominee. Right. 
He's at 58% of the Republican primary vote against 10 other candidates. The nearest one is DeSantis at 20. He's, he's not got to do anything to win that, but he's risking all of this because he needs to have a Senate that will do what he wants. And he doesn't want to be fighting with the Senate as he would be if McConnell succeeds in taking it over. And that's, that's the long and short of the story. Let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hey, Judith. Good to Hi, see you again. Judith. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. Doing great. Listen, you just, I didn't call about this. Kathy Barnett is no Winsome Sears, the lieutenant governor of Virginia, also was a military woman and everything and, and a black family, whatever. And if you listen to Barnett, she strikes me as, I am a woman. I am black. My 14-year-old black son makes mistakes. Please excuse him. Which is ridiculous. She's like an empty shell. She strikes me more Democrat than Republican. And you know what? I trust President Trump. If he's endorsing uh, Dr. Oz, then I, I go with right. him. I well, you're right. Trump. Good. You're right. Good for you. I mean, one of these, when, when you don't have anything to say, you fall back on your biography and politics. And that's what's happening here. And frankly, given what she has to say, I'm glad sometimes she doesn't say it. Um, thank you. You're right. Let's thank go to uh, Ron on Long Island. Hey, Ron. Hey, Mr. Morris. How are you, sir? I'm great. Doing good. I just wanted to, your own, I, I, I really don't know who else to ask, and I think you're about the only and best person to ask this question to. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Joe Biden has been very much compromised and is trying to take over this country from within? I, I really like to hear your answer. Compromised on that. how? What do you mean? By the Chinese or something? By Chinese or Russia, I mean... Yeah. I, I, think, I think Joe Biden is a senile, demented fool who shouldn't be near the Oval Office, who's manipulated by the last guy that speaks to him. Uh, <laughs> you know what a taxidermist is? <laughs> they take a dead animal and they stuff it up so it looks alive, <laughs> and they put it on the wall so they can say, see, I shot that tiger, I shot that yeah, elephant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, you're supposed to trophy. be really impressed with trophy. trophy. Yeah. That's what Biden is. They needed a placeholder to hold that office to stop Trump if they possibly could. And they, uh, and, and they took a guy who'd lost all the primaries, lost the nomination. They brought him back to life. They stuffed him full of Democratic operatives. They put him up on the wall and they're hoping that he doesn't fall off in four years. Locked him in his basement. Yeah, this guy is no more a threat to national security. He's an idiot. First of all, he was never that bright. Okay. Yeah. He went to law school and he graduated, I think. Almost 56th out of 65 in his law school class. Uh Damn near didn't pass the bar. He was never bright to begin with, and senility and dementia have not improved his mental ability. (laughs) (laughs) You might say. He's winning with that. Okay, William, let's go to you in Westchester. Hi, William. Hi, Dick. uh, Before a question about Ukraine aid, a very, very quick uh, Clinton story. I was at Shea Stadium September 2008. Bill's face was on the right hand of the Jumbotron. He was booed by everybody because he was there with a woman, not Monica and not Hillary. Well, okay. (laughs) True story. That means he wasn't getting yelled at. (laughs) My question is this. I have heard that the aid package, Republicans are holding it up because, uh, among other things, uh, most of the aid is going to replenish the stockpile that we have sent there, but also uh, the Republicans want better auditing of what has been uh, sent already. All right. In the middle middle of the war, we're going to have an audit. Uh, Did you spend this bullet properly? Did you shoot it in the right direction? And how about that artillery shell over there? You you shot one over three minutes ago. Why did you need to shoot a second one? Yeah, right. And you know this machine gun you have? Why do you need one when the guy over there has a machine gun? We're going to conduct an efficiency audit, and we're going to be sure there's no waste. War is wasteful. It's duplicative. You're spending a lot of money when you... A lot of stuff you don't need. A lot of bullets don't kill anyone. A lot of artillery shells need not have been fired. Right. They were fired and were redundant. That's for after the war, man. All's fair. That's for when it's over. Send in your orders with the sharpened pencils and the eye shades. But get them the hell out of the combat zone and give these troops the weapons that they need Good. to win this war. You're right. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, 
Yeah, just one thing, Dick, before you go. Yep. Is it going to rain? I guess it's going to rain. Is it going to rain out? What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing. Go on. <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, is this about climate change? Or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I guess. Uh, let's go to Jonathan, New Jersey, who said the magic words to get him to the front of the queue and get him on the air. He said, right. I disagree with you. So give it to me, yeah, Jonathan. There you go. Okay, Mr. Morris, I must confess. The only way I wanted to get to the top of the line, and not because I disagree <laughs> with you, I agree with you. That's <laughs> the only way I get to the top of the line. Right, we'll minute, give you we're going to give you that. We'll that give was, you that. Good, good okay. move. You, got, you can go yeah. on. Right. Right. Controlling the past. Here's my point. Yeah. Here's my point. Uh, if Russia must lose, therefore, if Russia loses, Iran is downgraded. You didn't mention that. Yeah. When Iran is downgraded, a huge bonus and a big plus yeah. for the Middle East. That's a great Therefore, thought, Jonathan. You're, you're right. Look, uh, understand it as Jonathan does. Russia, China, and Iran are an item. They're a unit. They're fighting alongside each other, and they're united by the hatred of the United States. And the West. And they, and they see us as the great Satan, and they're determined to bring us down. And they're allies, they're friends, just like Hitler and Mussolini and Tojo mm. were friends in the World War Two, the three countries. And when you have an, when you weaken an ally, you weaken the other ally. And that's absolutely key here. You know, there's something really good going on in Texas. The attorney general there, who is a pistol, Ken Paxton, he is absolutely wonderful. He's terrific. And he has he got Texas to pass a law saying that it prohibited social media companies from banning content based on political beliefs. And it said that they must be more transparent about how they censor user-generated content. And it also forces them to establish clear pathways for users to appeal censorship decisions. Uh, Paxton said it is now law the conservative viewpoints in Texas cannot be banned on social media. Now, somehow I don't think he's thinking politically when he says angels were sent down in Texas. I think he might have some other priorities yeah, blue in eye, mind. Blue yeah, eye, blue eye angels. Yeah, but rain. That's cool. That's cool. We'll go with it however we uh -huh. get it. Uh -huh. Let's go to George in Rockland County. Hey, George. Hey, uh, Mr. Morris. Thanks for taking my call. So, listen, it'll be interesting to hear your comment, okay? Uh, it's about uh, Governor Hochul. So uh, the latest poll uh, stating that uh, Biden is in a basement and she's even below it. So <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear good. your take. Yeah, I think Hochul is going to get clobbered. I think that uh, I think that the winner of the Republican primary for governor will probably be the next governor. Of oh, New York. that'd be so great! I mean, Hochul is a total shell. You know, she was a congresswoman from upstate New York. And she's on the she, Cuomo put her on the ticket as lieutenant governor for only two reasons: number one, she's a woman, and number two, she's from upstate New York. And there are about to get, four, the, to get the vote, yeah, upstate vote. There are about okay. four million people that satisfy that job description. They're women from upstate. <laughs> you could put any of them on the ticket, <laughs> and he put Hochul on. She'd been a congressman for two years. She didn't do anything of note. And right now she's a parrot. She literally is parroting every single thing Cuomo did. And uh, when the CDC says jump high, she says how high. Mm. She's completely responsive. She does everything that they want. And she has yet to demonstrate that she has a, that she has a viable independent brain in her body. Now, there are three good candidates running on the Republican side. One of them is Lee Zeldin, congressman from Staten Island. Mm -hmm. Another one is Andrew Giuliani, who's the son of the mayor. And the third one is Rob Astorino, who's going to be my guest on the show in one week. Um, he's from Westchester County. He was the executive there. Yep, nice guy. And he's the guy who is single-handedly reporting on all of these rev these, fly these airplanes oh, right. bringing illegal immigrants 
from the border to Westchester. He sat there at night with his camera. Exactly. And exactly, and they're landing right here. Unbelievable. And uh, the U.S. government denies it. And it's, they have unmarked airplanes. It's a secret flight. And they send two or three of them a week to here so that they can spread the illegal population around the country, influence the next election, buy themselves congressional seats. And uh, Astorino is on to them. And so I, great. I love that. As a county exec in Westchester, he was terrific. He, yeah, he was. cut taxes. He held taxes down. He had a county legislature that was very Democrat and was totally out of control. And he vetoed everything he could find, and he really knocked them back and forced taxes to be flat in Westchester. And if you follow what's been going on in Nassau, Suffolk, and Westchester, Westchester has been a lot better, a lot more conservative, a lot more sensible, and I think a lot of that is due to Rob Astorino. I'm not supporting anybody in that race. I think all the candidates are good. I just happen to know Astorino the best because I helped run his campaign when he was elected county executive a hundred years ago. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Lou in Mineola wants to comment about this horrible development. I don't know if you've heard about it, but a kid, a teenager who was a white racist, uh, opened fire with a machine gun in a Buffalo supermarket and killed 10 people or 11 Whoa, people. What was that, yesterday? Today. I didn't, today. See, I didn't see this. Oh, it just goodness. happened. And, uh, and it's really... It's really horrible. So, Lou, please tell us about it. Yes. Uh, hi, Dick. <clears throat> what, I find this story particularly troubling because it gives us a, a window into the mind of this very young man who somehow acted on something, you know, very, very sick inside his mind. But I think it's something that's going to reverberate. Apparently, well, he uses social media to apparently comment his views and apparently right. used a some type of camera videotape this thing. And I, I think it's a story that's going to reverberate because we have to wonder, we have to ask ourselves what created this guy. Yep. And it troubles me a little bit to think that maybe, <clears throat> you know, somehow what we hear from, now, I don't know that it's fair to say this is from the right. This, yeah, I don't think you can describe insanity to ideology. But um, look, there is an answer to all of this. There is an obvious answer to all of this. Do you think people go on airplanes and machine gun 10 people these days? You think you ever read about that? No. You ever read that they break into an airport and they machine gun everybody in the airport? No. You ever read that? Hasn't happened in 40 years, 30 years. Why? Because of metal detectors. Mm. Metal detectors. <laughs> put right. them in schools, put them in supermarkets, put them in movie theaters, put them every place people congregate and have people go through them all the time. Right. So what if it goes off and they have to search your bag? They put metal detectors now at Yankee Stadium. Uh, 50,000 people show up for a baseball game. They're backed up all the way over 161st Street, all the way up to Walton Avenue. And they have to go through the metal detector. And it takes so little time. It's so quick. They're so efficient. They're in their seats before the first pitch is thrown. Right. And why can't we do that all over the place? You don't need a government law. Let one supermarket put a metal detector in their market and hire the guy they use to make sure nobody's shoplifting to be there and <laughs> right. with a gun to make sure nobody is there uh, to shoot anything up. And then just have the supermarket say, here at this supermarket, right. we have a metal detector. And, and you watch every right. single one of the supermarkets that's going to install that's right. The you fact that we You're live right. this fancy-free, open life, and anybody goes anywhere, and then when there's something horrible happens, the left says, ooh, we yeah, need gun, gun control. control. And the right says, gun control won't help it. Uh, we have to be, we need more police officers on the streets. Yeah, we don't. We need metal detectors, guys. I'm with you. It, like in, in Philadelphia, every high school has a metal detector. Hasn't been a school shooting there since since before the turn of the century, certainly. And uh, and there's no reason why this has to go on in our society. None at all. Okay, let's go to Alex in California. But how do you really feel about it? <laughs> Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hey, uh, you, men you mentioned that uh, 
Iran, China, and Russia are united against the United States in the West. I wanted to add uh, India to that list. Basically, uh, 40% of the Indian population supports the Russian invasion, and the Indian government has been helping Russia to evade Western sanctions since 2014. That's when Russia took over Crimea. Right. Well, look, uh, I certainly, Alex, you're well-informed, and certainly that's part of the process. But India is not an ally of Iran or Russia. Uh, India is uh, was allied with Russia years ago when it was a socialist government. Uh, since then, it's not. And uh, it's unfortunate that India has not stepped up with the other countries and enforced the oil boycott against Russia. But you can't regard India as an enemy of the United States. It's not. Uh, it's the most populous democracy in the world. China has 1.4 billion people. India has 1.3 billion. And it's largely a peace-loving country. It has never initiated a war since back in the 60s when they were fighting over Kashmir. And uh, I'm very pro-Indian. I think it's a very good country. I think it's run by peaceful people. I think its ethic is peace law-abiding and peaceful. I think they're very spiritual and uh, and I have a very high opinion. They have a large Muslim population and they and that obviously biases some of their people toward Iran and probably it limits what their government can do in support of the U.S. vis-a-vis Iran. But um, mm. don't mix them up with saying that they're one of the three evil countries in the world. They're not, and thank God they're not. Thank you for your call. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Hey, first of all, compliments to the chef. Great show every week. Um, Getting right to it. uh, The the left with the war on babies and the late-term abortion, how does that translate into they they want to basically kill late-term babies, but yet they won't talk about the death penalty for some nut who just mowed down 10 people in the market? You're you're absolutely right. We're out of time, so i got to cut you short. But absolutely. And... uh, And bear in mind that the Democrats are no longer pro-choice. They are pro-abortion. They are pro-late-term abortion. Shoot them on the way out. Oh, my God. No limit at all. Third trimester. Strangle them when he gets born. Animals. You're talking about animals. Horrible stuff. They're animals. Okay, see you guys next week. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.